1 Corinthians 10, 12 to 13. Let's read it together. We're good to go? Here we go. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. What comes before the fall? Pride. Some of y'all are like, yeah, let me get up out of here. That, that, that word makes me feel some type of way. If you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life, underline this part in your brain, are no different from what others experience. I feel a chill already. And God is sometimes on Tuesdays, only to me, only to you. He's faithful. Somebody scream always. Y'all ready to go today. He will not allow the temptation to be more, more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way where? Out so that you can endure. I want you to look at your neighbor and I want you to tell them the title of my sermon this morning. Look at your neighbor and say, sins with benefits. Take your seats. Take your seats. So we are finishing this sermon series and I have been preparing for this sermon Literally my entire life. Just want to make sure that you guys know I am a professional um, sinner. I'm really good at it. I am a professional manipulator. Um, I'm really good at justifying my temptation. I'm real. Uh, y'all, y'all like look at him. It's you too. Y'all like like y'all holier than me. <laughs> Come on, bro. Yeah, you in the brown shirt. Come on, dog. You la- like you laugh. They laughing, bro. Like they capping, bro. No, like I'm. Look at your neighbor. Say I'm really, really good with trying to get the benefits from God out of my sin. And in the church, we, we have this concept of sin that's so broken. We, we think that it's because of sin that Jesus died. Look at your neighbor and say, that ain't it. Jesus didn't die for your sin because if that was the truth, the minute you gave your heart to Christ and the Holy Spirit sat in your heart, you'd be no earthly good and you would just die right there. So look at your neighbor saying, if you're living, there's got to be more to the story. Second thing that we have to understand is that God hates sin. Can you say that? Like, God doesn't make any exceptions. The lie that we tell ourselves, God understands. Look at your neighbor and say, no, he doesn't. God is holy, which means that everything around him has to be right. It has to be perfect. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they fell. And what happened? Sin entered their heart. So God had to do what? He had to get them out of their space. But I don't know about you, it seems like for some of us, we've become more comfortable in the dark than we are next to the Father. And we will begin to justify the chains and the, and the bondage that we have put on top of ourselves and then claim that God isn't good. Okay, all right. We'll say that we're bound, that we're not free, and then we'll blame a God that says, by the word of your testimony, you shall be free. So we'll carry the chains in our lives and bondage and say that, you know, God understands my sin. But I want to make sure that you understand that there are benefits to sin. If there were no benefits to sin, you, we wouldn't. I was having a conversation with a friend, and uh, he was telling me, he's like, yeah, my life, uh, my life before Christ, like, it wasn't as dirty as, as I thought it would be. And I looked at him, and I said, wow, you, you must not have been going hard on purpose. I don't know about you, but when I was out here, I was going hard. Okay, all right, all right. So I see, I see where I'm at. I see where I'm at. I get it. All of you are on the VIP list in the glo- I get it. Well, because of who I am, I'm on the bottom of the list. And I'm going to share with you why God understands something. If you did not have fun while you were sinning, you were doing it wrong. The Bible says to be either hot or cold. So if you're going to do it, 
Why not do it? I had friends growing up. Oh, I loved them. Before we go out, they would say this. Tonight, we're getting messed up. We ain't getting a little bit lit. No, we trying to make it to the point where we can't walk. And I respected it. Why? Because they were willing to give everything that they had to pursue something. But us in the church will not give everything that we have to pursue a God that wants freedom for us. Somebody say he ready. So let's jump into it. Somebody say sins with benefits. Let's break down this word benefit. For all of you theologians and Christians that are about to tune out, please just stay, just stay tuned. I, I studied, I did my homework, so I, I'm, it's going to make sense. Most of my sermons make sense, but if this one doesn't, just give me a bye and just Holy Ghost Kojic tip on out. All right, okay. Let's look at the word benefit. A benefit is an advantage gained by paying a price for a desired effect. One more time. Benefits are an advantage gained by paying a price for a desired effect. Me and my wife, um, we celebrated a year of marriage in, uh, in July. No, in May. In May. And um, we went on a trip. It was awesome. Now, I don't know about you guys, but if you ever invite me on a trip and it's not all-inclusive, I'm going to proudly decline. All-inclusive, it's different. You eat and drink as much as you want, and, like, you ain't got to ask nobody. Another thing, we're on vacation. Don't give me a schedule. I live on a schedule every other time, like, here at church. Like, I wake up at 6 o'clock and go to bed at 11. When I'm on vacation... Leave me alone. Well, you know, breakfast ends at 11. Then I guess I'm going to order room service at 1045. I'm not leaving this room. But so many times, like, when you go into your room, you know how, like, there's, like, that little, um, that little uh, uh, refrigerator? It has all types of drinks, right? It's got the stuff that gets you lit, and then it has, like, juices and sodas and stuff. Okay. Y'all so lying. I ain't never seen no alcohol. I'm like, well, come on, man. When you go to certain hotels... When we were growing up, my parents used to be very specific. They used to look at me and my sister before we walk in the room. They'd go to put the key in, and they'd be like, hold up, Martin. Let, let's talk to them. They would say, you better not open anything that's in that room. Because a can of soda that's like this big would be like $475,000. Then you got to give your kidney. It's tough. But where we went on our, uh, it wasn't our honeymoon, uh, but where we went on our trip to celebrate our anniversary, everything was all included. But I didn't read the manuscript to know what was all included. So I walked past this refrigerator all week, not knowing that I had paid for the benefits that were inside of it. Okay. So I'm drinking water. That's disgusting. I'm waiting to drink juice because you know on resorts, they only serve the good juice in the morning. Why do y'all do that, by the way? Hyatt, why? You only get the good juice, apple juice, cranberry juice, and then after that, it's unsweetened tea. Hey, don't throw a shoe at me. It's not tea unless it has sugar in it and you get the beaties. Come on. Okay. All right. But I was walking past this refrigerator day by day, day by day, day by day, day by day. Vanessa goes up to the refrigerator, opens it, grabs a soda, cracks it open. And Joshua, little seven-year-old, was like, oh, God, I can't afford that Coke. What are you doing? And she looked at me, and she said, you already paid for it. But the way in which I was thinking was, whenever you go into a hotel, you don't open up that drawer because we don't have, we don't have it all. And she looked at us, at me, me and my stupidity, us. You see? Okay. She looked at both of us, and she said, you've already paid for it. The receipt of your sin was redemption. But so many of us are walking around, and we don't have the receipt of freedom with us. 
I learned that from Ron Jefferson. I can't take that for myself. I don't steal people's stuff. We had a conversation one-on-one. So I'm walking past this refrigerator parched. I mean thirsty. And you know like when you're looking at a drink and it got the condensation? I'm getting thirsty right now. Oh, my God. Oh, hold on. Wait a minute. You know, like when the water is like, it's, it's good and cold. Where's Chad at? I mean, it's good and cold. You feel me? Like how your granddaddy said, he'd be reach down in that barrel, give me a cold, a cold pop. You got to wrench that thing off, get the water off. It looked pleasing to the eye, but I didn't know that I'd already paid for it. And there are people that are sitting in this room that are worshiping a God that paid the price for freedom. And you think that it's an item on the other end of glass that you have to pay for, but it's already been paid for. So we'll come up to the counter with our sin saying, I don't deserve freedom. And God says, I already paid for it. So today, we're going to talk about freedom, not deliverance. Because deliverance and freedom are not the same thing. You ready to go? Was that a good enough intro? And when you go on vacation, don't be skimpy. Spend the bread. Fly fly first class. Get the room. You never know when you're going to make it back there. And somebody said amen. 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 Here we go. Number one. Don't make the mistake of escape. I'm going to jump through the word. I'm going to tell myself a little bit, but we're going to use the word, okay? I want to make sure that as I'm teaching that I'm using the word, not my opinion, not my experience, because the word is perfect. I taught a whole message on the Holy Spirit and how he's the spirit of truth, the word of truth. So that's what we're going to do. Can somebody shout amen? Amen. Here we go. When we look at the book of Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church that does not have self-control. Paul, every time he comes and reaches out to the Corinthian church, they're asking him all of these silly questions. One of the reasons why the commandments don't have like a whole bunch of uh, uh, appendixes and like have a whole bunch of amendments is because God said it and he meant it when he said it. So the Corinthian church says, well, well, it says do not covet another person's things. And then the Corinthian church came to Paul and they said, well, what happens if a person's fig tree grows in their yard and it actually grows over my fence? Therefore, is it also a part of mine? And Paul had to write a letter to them basically saying, like, are you serious? No. If they planted the tree, you can't take the figs. If the figs fall on your side of the fence, take them back to them. Okay? No big deal. Then um, another person wrote to him, and it's in your word. He said, hey, I find my mother attractive, um, so can I procreate? And Paul says, are you, are you serious? So he writes another letter. No, you may not sleep with your mama. Look at your neighbor and say, common sense is not common. Another one comes, another one comes and they say, hey, um, a lady birthed a child, but I believe that the child is mine. And they say, Paul, Paul says, okay, so, so she birthed a child. Like, what are you talking about? Paul writes a letter and he says, well, how about we do this? Since I'm going to stoop down to your level. Sometimes in order to prove a point to a child, you have to stoop down to their level to let them know like, how silly they sound. Paul says, why don't you just split the baby in half? Just take a hot sword, cut the baby in half. You take your half and you take your half. And then they get to this point where the Corinthian church is just like, I think that Paul is really serious about like, maybe we should have some self-governance. If you were living your life based off of the Ten Commandments and not trying to break them, you're doing it wrong. If you're living your life by the Ten Commandments and you're trying to find a way to weave in and out by cutting corners, you're also doing it wrong. Somebody scream from your soul, if he said it, he meant it. So when we jump into 1 Corinthians 10, Paul is talking to the Corinthian church again. I think that Paul was the right person to write to this church because the Corinthian church was just like, it was messing up. And it's so funny when people say, hey, let's just, we should return back to the old Bible times. Are you serious? 
Do you know how many rules and regulations that they had to write? They had to write that you, basically today you couldn't touch an oxen or a plow. That basically means that all of you that cut your grass on Sunday, that would be a sin that would be punishable by death. That means that if, let's, let's talk about it. In the Roman Empire, if you looked at another man's wife and that man had an ought against you, he had the ability to cut your head off in the middle of the street. So this conversation of laws and rules to govern people doesn't make any sense. That's why God has made it very, very clear that when you want to govern your life, you need to write them on the tablet of your somebody say heart. Here we go. In order for Paul to teach the Corinthian church uh, uh, that what they were facing, I'm sorry, in order for, for Paul to teach the Corinthian church, he had to destroy this thing in their mind that made them think that what they were going through was new. So many different times when you're dealing with whatever you're dealing in your life, you think that you're the only one that's seen it. <laughs> There's no way that other men walk past computer screens and feel some type of way. I'm the only one, therefore I can. Wow. Wow. Every time you walk past some, some money, you get sticky fingers. Oh, God understands. Does he or are you justifying the sin? Okay. Yeah. Okay. When you pop off on people, well, I'm just, that's just who I am. No, you're evil. You're evil. You are, you are rude. You are mean. You don't submit to authority. You don't submit to the person that you said for richer or poorer in, in sickness and health. Like you are, look at your neighbor. No, don't do that. She was red. She said, mm. no, don't do that. Don't do that. When we look at this, Paul reminds the Corinthian church that what you're dealing with is no different than what was, de was dealt with before. Let's read it. First Corinthians, he says, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them uh, ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. He's trying to set up that nobody has particular personal sin. Everybody is all, we all were under the same cloud. We all walked through the same Red Sea. Like God doesn't have certain grace for some people and like leftover grace for the rest of us. It's all the same. Okay. Which means that the way in which he judges sin is all the same. All of them are the same. We as humans put them on a Richter scale to basically say like, oh, this person committed murder and that person stole a cookie. But to God, they are all the same. If you get to the point where you can become judgmental and you can start to put sin on a Richter scale, that's basically telling God that there are some things that are worse than others. But I don't know about you. There are some things in my life, if we're going by that scale, there are some things that I deserve to be dead for. Oh, don't do that to me. You've said worse things with your mouth than bullets that have come out of a gun. You have. I have. I have said things that I wish I would have never said. And the relationship that I have with the person that I said it to, it will never return to where it came from. And guess what? It was my fault. We can't use our emotions as a, as a scapegoat. Oh, you know, I was drunk. No, what was inside of you came out. The alcohol just permitted it to come out easier. Well, you know how I get when I get angry. No, you are a terrible person. It's on the inside of you. So the part that God wants to make sure is this. Everybody got a little ugly in them. It just depends on what concoction I give you that makes it come out. But here we go. All of them ate the same spiritual food and all of them drank the same spiritual water for they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them. Verse 5. Yet... God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. These things happened as a warning to us so that, say this out loud, we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, 
the people celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. The people that Paul is talking to are the children of the Israelites in the wilderness. They're the children of, the, of, of those in the, you, you know what I'm talking about? There was a group of them that were in the wilderness. They wandered around for 40 years. They messed up. God comes to Moses at the burning bush. He says, hey, dog, you ain't going to see it. Moses says, dang, that's tough. Everybody dies. All their children have a new leader. His name is? Joshua. Yeah. Oh, I'm kidding. Okay. His name is Joshua. Joshua takes them into the promised land. And then after that, when we read the word of God, there's leader after leader after leader. Leader finds God. Leader falls away from God. God kills the leader. Then another leader rises up. Then he loses it. And, they, and it's this perpetual cycle of people loving God enough to get to the mountaintop. But then once they get the lights on them, they throw them away. Okay. All right. The reason why you have the job promotion, the reason why you're the lead isn't to get a promotion. It's to shine the light just as bright at the top of the mountain as you did when you were climbing up it. You want to know how you love your wife? You have to love her just as much in the dark as you do in front of people. Because if you only do it in front of people, Joshua, Vanessa won't think that it's real. I'm telling on myself. I know. You're screaming at me. I know. I messed up. I don't lose anything by apologizing. And another, I'm just kidding. The brother in the back was like, bro, get off my, get off me, bro. Like, so Paul is writing to this group of people that have never had to work for anything. They've never lost anything. So they're asking all these questions like, can I eat the dog? Don't eat the dog. Can I eat the lobster? Don't eat the lobster. Can, can, I, can, I, can I throw my son over a cliff? Oh, don't do that? Okay. So they're asking all these questions because they have no foundation. But Paul talks to them. He says, let's go backwards. Okay. Do you remember Joseph? Joseph went to Egypt. God tells, Joseph, God tells Pharaoh through a, 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 a litany of dreams that there's going to be famine for how long? Seven years of good time, seven years of bad time, right? So Joseph goes through his entire story where he's thrown in the pit. Then he ends up getting, uh, starts with Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tries to, he says, and then he ends up getting thrown into jail, right? After that, he gets reconciled back to the house. And then what happens? He's the right hand of Pharaoh. He tells Pharaoh, he, he predicts it, you know, seven grains of stock, seven bull. Can we do Bible? Y'all read, read your word? Okay, I got to get to a point. So I'm just trying to, you know. Rosetta Stone for the Bible. Okay. Uh, seven grains of stock, seven, grain, uh, se seven bulls, and they, they're devoured. And he says, there's going to be seven good years, seven bad years. Joseph does what? He helps Egypt save for seven years. The point is this. When you're looking at your finances, there's another nugget. You shouldn't be saving. You should be saving when it's good. So if it's too good to be true, you should be having a nest egg anyway. Because famine is coming. Okay. So he takes care of it. Then Joseph is like, whoa, wait a minute. How can I be living in Egypt, eating good in the neighborhood, but my people in the old hood, they can't eat? So what does he do? He doesn't have a cell phone, but just for, you know, this is how kids do it, but this is how we did it growing up. He says, hey, Jacob, his father, he says, hey, come through the hood. Your boy is grown now. I got bread. Y'all come eat. Jacob takes the entire group of people and does what? Moves to Egypt. But then afterwards, Joseph dies. And a new leader comes to Egypt, and that leader is a terrible person who doesn't know God. And it seems that the place that the Israelites were escaping to has now enslaved them. There are some things that we escape to as Christians because we're sad, because we're lonely, because we're empty, and it's good for a minute. Then it ends up being slavery because Egypt can go from 
from feeding you filet mignon one day to whipping you with a chain the next. You started the relationship because you were lonely. And you didn't know how to feel the hole in your heart, sweetheart. So you thought that what was in between his legs and a couple of meals would make you feel good. So it was good to you for a second. But then you realized that Buddy was crazy. And now a place that you escaped to has now put you enslaved. You had one drink. It was only for one night. I'll try it. And you had a bad day at work. Somebody said something to you. And now alcohol that you have escaped to now has become your master. But this is the funny thing about masters. They don't start out as masters. They start off as medication. Can I talk to you online, please? People that are deep down in sin, it didn't start off as it being a master. It presented them with something that they wanted. Then they took it in a time of desperate need. And then it literally got around their neck and went like this. So when we talk about bondage, I'm not talking about in the sense of like people have chosen their sin. I want to make sure that you understand the sin that even I have to deal with as a man. The only part of me that's holy is the God that's inside of me. All it is, ain't it. I got to tell this what to do even now. You feel what I'm saying? Okay. God has to help me figure out, is this something that you have escaped to? Because if it's something that you've escaped to and now you're enslaved to it, I got to provide a way for you to escape from it. So let's just set the precedence. Everybody raise your hand like this. On the tip of your hand is your sin. Look at everybody in the room. Look, everybody has something. You know what the name of that thing is. So let's destroy the spirit of judgment that makes people think that just because you sit closer or because you serve or because you're in a picture with pastors Martin and Linnell, that you're more holy than other people. Scream it with me. We're all dirty. Okay, so we got it? Does anybody want to escape from Egypt today, like the, the addiction has been taking you over for way too long, the way in which you think. But the thing is, is that if you see a benefit to the sin, we can't get you free. The people in Egypt saw a benefit. They said, we would rather go back. At least we were eating. And Moses is like, but they were beating you. You were in chains. And all they could think was, well, at least I was eating. Sweetheart, he puts his hands on you. He spits in your face. He doesn't accept your children. Well, you know, he pays my rent. So your salvation is worth $600 a month. You know, I can't control this dog. If God wanted me to have a wife, he would have gave it to me when I was born. So, so you mean to tell me that a muscle that God gave you in between your legs, you can't, you, you, can't, you can't get that under control for freedom? So you'd rather live in sexual immorality for the rest of your life, ducking and weaving because you see somebody and you're like, oh, I don't do that. Don't do that to me. Don't look at me in that tone of voice because we've all been there. Like, oh, uh, wh what are you doing, bro? Yeah, we can't eat here. Why not? Oh, uh, yeah, the food's nasty. And then you look around like, oh, oh, you know what I'm saying? Don't do that. Y'all, y'all, y'all killing me. Y'all like, mm, I've been saying my whole life and you sweating, hoping that nobody sees you. See, that's why you sit in the back. So nobody sees the beads of sweat on your back. These things happen as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things. Don't become enslaved by something that you escape to. It's okay to mourn when you lose someone. It's okay to mourn a bad relationship. But don't escape there and become enslaved in mourning. You know that person. They're sad all the time. He left you 17 years ago, sis. Well, if I would have kept him. Granny, you 70. He gone. 
Well, if I would have been with him, you wouldn't have been here. Well, I'm here now. So, like, let's, let's, let's figure this thing out. Egypt can feed you fruit one day and then whip and enslave you the next. So this conversation about sin, we have to understand that 99.999% of the time, what you were holding up in your hand, if you had an opportunity to know what it was going to do with you after you took it, you probably wouldn't have taken it. Can we talk? Let's do it. Point number two. The benefit of sin is the justification of temptation. The benefit of your sin is that it allows you to make sense of temptation. The benefit of your sin is that it allows you to look at temptation and say, I already know what my vice is. So if God knows my vice, that means that I don't have enough to fight temptation. So I'm just going to go with it. That, 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 that's who I am. It's easier for me to manipulate because any person that's a good orator that can speak with their mouth at some point in their time has manipulated people. I'll be totally honest, really great with my words. I used to be a terrible, I mean, an amazing, terribly great, terribly awful, evil manipulator, telling lies all around, and I was able to get out of them. And I didn't feel any type of thing because I would tell a lie so deep, somebody say so deep, just to see if I could get out of it. So even I, myself, have to understand that the sin that I've chosen, there's benefits that come with it. So here we go, 1 Corinthians 10 and 12. It says, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. That basically means you think your sin is lesser than other people, so you're prideful. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience, and God is faithful, right? He will not, he will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. The enemy has a way of highlighting the benefit and hiding the price tag. Do you want an apple? And hide the price tag that you're going to give away your freedom. Do you want her? She's sexy and fine. She's attracted to you. She's your girlfriend. But now, bro, you're going to be enslaved to that thing. I used to have my arm around a girl that I loved that was the literal slave master of my life. So let's talk about it. You ready? Look at your neighbor and say, certain sins meet certain needs. Okay, can you throw up my art? There are benefits to sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? There are benefits. Okay, lying is the name. That's a sin, right? And lying does what? It relieves you from exposing the truth. But what does it cost you? It costs you your integrity. So the benefit of this sin of lying is that you don't have to take the, tell the truth. So you keep lying. The benefit is I ain't got to tell the truth. But then what happens when you lie? You as a person can no longer be trusted. This is the benefit, but this is the cost. What's the next one? The next sin is, can you throw it up for me, please? Judging. Our ability to diminish other people to make ourselves feel more righteous. Okay? The sin is judging. But what does it cost? I mean, I'm sorry, what does it free you from? It frees you from self-reflection. When you judge others, you don't look at yourself. But then what does it cost you? It costs you relationships with people. Name one judgmental person that has true friends. The reason why you don't have good friends isn't because you can't find good friends. It's just that you've never taken a hard, good look at yourself and realized why you keep attracting the people. Everybody around me lies. It's not that they're liars. You are. Seems like everybody around you just thinks about money. That's all we talk about. So we're going to attract 
who we are. So if you're broken, you can create a village of broken people. What's the next one? What about this one called pride? Pride isn't a sin, Pastor. Yes, it is, and it's destroying all of our lives. Pride is your inability to humble yourself when somebody's trying to teach you. Pride will do this. As somebody's trying to teach you how to do something right, you give them suggestions, and they're the expert. Let me, let me go ahead. Pride is a sin, and it frees you from help. But what does it cost you? It costs you growth. You want to know why you're not growing? You're prideful. You think you know everything. You, this is what I tell people that I've hired. Why am I the boss? Why am I the boss? Evidently, I know enough to give you what you need. But if you hit me with this thing called pride, you won't let me help you, and there's no growth for you here at this job. Nine times out of ten, if you got fired, I bet you it's because you didn't allow somebody to help you. Oh, y'all getting quiet. I love it. It doesn't make me feel no type of way. My pastors have taught me how to lean into confrontation. I'm never embarrassed. Here we go. What about the sin of being stubborn? Y'all think I was going to talk about like addiction and sex and pornography. No, 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 no. These are the ones. This is them. Look at them. Say, say this is it. Okay. Sin is being stubborn, immovable. And some of us will labor our stubbornness with faith. I'm faithful, unwavering. No, you are stubborn. If you're stubborn, it frees you from having to change. So you never have to change. You have that hard conversation with your grandparents or the elders in your life. This is how we've always done it. You're dead. We're dead. If, this is the, if, if your way is the only way, that means how this thing works is in your head and we're dead. You are only as good of a leader as you are not needed. Okay, you'll catch that on the way home. If you're stubborn, it frees you from having to change. But then what does it cost you? It costs you being productive. So in your life, if you're not moving forward, I can promise you a couple of things. Number one, you might be prideful. But number two, you might be reluctant to change. And let me let you know, when you die, they're going to change it anyway. Well, my son needs to live his life this way. Your time is coming up, pops. And he's going to do what God told him to do, even if it means he has to wait until you're six feet under. So why wouldn't you... Why wouldn't you just let him do what he needs to do? You're a business owner. Somebody's coming to you with innovative ideas. Why wouldn't you just let them do it? The reason why this transition works is because our pastors are willing to change. Sometimes the change that you see in the building that you think I'm doing, they were Pastor Martin's ideas. And I'm not stubborn, neither am I prideful to say I thought of it first. If we don't take care of these things, we will never grow. What's the last sin? Somebody say benefits. benefits. These are all benefits. They help you, but they cost you something. Yes. Remember what I said? A benefit is some, it's a price that you pay for, for something that you want. Yes. What about addiction? Addiction frees you from having to take self-control. But what does it cost you? It costs you your freedom. So you can give your life to THC. Think about how silly that is. A plant runs your life. A, a plant that was, and people are like, well, it was in Eden. It was, but if God had the audacity to say, don't eat that fruit, don't you think that there were some other things that that probably applied to? That's why you don't eat poisonous snakes, but he didn't say, thou shalt not eat poisonous snakes. So weed was in the garden, and he didn't have to say, don't smoke it, but we'll make justification. 
vacation. If this is good, clap once. If I'm in your mail, clap once. Temptation isn't an indication of where you are hurt. It's an, ind- it's an indication of where you are vulnerable. This is my sin. No, it shows an area that you have allowed to be open for the seed of deception to be planted in your life. Point number three. Somebody say deliverance and freedom are not the same. They're not synonymous. First Corinthians 10, 14. It says, so my dear friends, flee from the worship of idols. You are what? Reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I am saying is true. The Egyptians were delivered to the wilderness, but they were not free from slavery. They were delivered out of slavery. They were, they, they were free in the wilderness, but they weren't free here. The point of deliverance service is to deliver you from what had you in bondage. But freedom has to be a day-by-day step that you take. So here at AWC, we the nation, we don't just lean on this thing called us deliverance. Oh, I've been delivered. You've been delivered, but you still want to go back to Egypt. The children of Israel were in the wilderness with freedom. They had a cloud that was covering them. They had food that came from the sky. They had no rules and regulations, and they still felt uncomfortable. I want to make sure that you understand that being still is not a sickness. You don't have to be running around everywhere. If you can't take a break from it, that means that you are a slave to it. I, I can't. I got I to I I I I I I I keep going. I got to keep going. Man, I got to get this dollar. I got to get this dollar, man. You know, oh, my God, I got to finish this book. I got to finish this book. Oh, so it seems like the book runs your life. Whoosh. Oh, your job runs your life. Well, if I don't get this money, we ain't going to be able to pay rent. If we ain't going to be able to pay rent, we're going we're to be living on the street. And I bet you your wife is like, well, at least we'd be together. I'd rather be broke with you than to have everything, and I don't even feel the warm spot in the bed. Paul's trying to help them. You can be in freedom, and because you're not being beaten, whipped with change, you can disassociate it. Somebody can experience love for the first time, and since they've never experienced it before, they have an adverse effect. Like, hey, man, stop being all soft on me, bro. No, dog, this is love. Hey, man, don't be touching on me, bro. Don't be hugging me, man. That, that, man, that's soft. Wow. That really speaks to the fact that nobody gave you a hug growing up. What if we started to meet people with the thing that they were fighting? When you give somebody love and they're like, get off of me, oh, you don't know what love is. So now let me teach you. Somebody say, yeah. <laughs> Let's look at the difference. Deliverance is defined as the action of being rescued. Burning bush. I'm sorry, burning building. You're in there. Somebody scream. Somebody say, help me, help me, help me. Come on, you're in the building. Come on, you're in the building, building. Come on. Okay, now what do I do? I grab all of you and I rescue you. You have now been delivered. I put you down here. If you are not free, what will you do? I've already risked my life chasing after you. What makes you think I'm going to do it again? This is the reason why church folk are so fickle. Because you're in your mess. And somebody runs in to save you from the fire. And they're all burnt up trying to figure it out. You were used to it, so you weren't burned. Then you run back into the burning building that I came to save you from. Then you get upset that I don't chase you into the burning building anymore. Then you call me fake. Please zoom in. Let me go over it again. 
we used to go to Blockbusters. You had to take the tape and put it in this thing, and it would rewind and go, zzz. Somebody do that. Say, say zzz. Click. Back to the beginning of the movie. You're in a burning building. It's called sin. I, because I know God, and I used to be in that place of sin, run into that thing and come and help you. I grab you. We take you out of the building of sin. You've been in there for a minute, so you're not used, you're, you're, you're used to it. I'm not. I got all burnt up trying to help you. We out here. Ooh, thank God God saved you, man. God, God bless you. Let's get you into a serve group. Let's get you into joining the partnership. Hey, I got some brothers. You can't spend time with me, but I got some brothers over here that, that, that you can talk to. They're free. But I want to talk to you, bro. I just ran into a burning building. I need some time to, like, get right. Then because you feel that we haven't chased you, you run back into the burning building and curse me out from the seventh floor. You see, this is why I'm burning up, because nobody at the church, everybody's fake. We're not fake. We're free. Okay. I feel like I'm working so hard for y'all to get this point today. I really feel like the Holy Spirit's on my back, and I, he's like, keep teaching. I'm like, I'm tired. I'm tired. We don't chase people into burning buildings that we save them from. You want another analogy? She said, yeah, you like these? I'm a visual learner. Let's rewind the tape. You're drowning. You can't swim. I come and save you. We're on the side of the pool. Then I go and get a hamburger. And you say, oh, you abandoned me. So what do you do? (laughs) You jump back into the pool. And you drown. And while you're in the water, see, this is why I don't like church people. I, I helped you. But this is one thing that you learn in life and lifeguarding. You can only save people. Can I sit, can I sit right here? Who's the service leader for the day? Rebecca, you can, you can it's, it's over with. God bless you. We'll see you next week. I can't save you if you're fighting me. So let's debunk this thing that you believe that the church threw you out because of your sin. No, you just didn't want to join the process. And any good organization that you go to has a process. You don't even want to be hired by a company that doesn't have a process. This is your job description. This is how long your lunch is. It's 30 minutes from the time you leave, not when you get to the joint and sit down. Oh, am I, am I tippy-toeing? Am I tippy-toeing on your last nerve? Well, they gave me 30 minutes. That's not enough. Then you shouldn't have taken the job. We like it over here because it actually produces freedom. It's not that AWC is broken. You're just not delivered yet. That's the best, Miss Nikki. That's the best analogy I've ever given in my life, I feel. Scale of 1 to 10, how am I doing? All right, cool. All right. If you want to be free, clap once. Freedom defined is the power or right to act, speak, or think as one wants without hindrance or restraint. The enemy cannot tempt you with something that you do not have a desire for already. There's a reason why I don't drink alcohol. I think it's disgusting. It's just, I don't, I don't understand. Wait a minute. This is how it tastes the first time? So you mean I got to drink how much to make it taste good? I'm straight. Bring me a chocolate cake with an almond milk. Natural, no sweetener. Like, I'd rather drink a protein shake. Champagne? 
when we were on our vacation, when you show up to resorts and stuff, they usually have something in the flute, and it's usually juice. I was like, oh, yeah, let me get like four of these. I started drinking the first one. <laughs> what is that? She says, oh, I think it's champagne. And I'm like, y'all like this? Not my wife, not my wife, not my wife, not my wife. Not my wife. Y'all like, mm. <laughs> she getting heat. She's like, oh, God. Oh, man. All right, here we go. Point number four. Temptation begins with desire. It doesn't begin when you see it. It doesn't begin outside of your body. Everybody wants to manifest. That's our word of the year. We're manifesting. I have all power within me. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. But when I see this thing that's outside of me, I ain't got no power. This doesn't have that much power. It's that we're weak on the inside. Let me prove it to you. Let me prove it to you. My parents haven't, oh, my, oh, my dad did text me. Hold on one second. Cool. Here we go. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. James 1. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And remember, when you are being tempted, do not say God is tempting me, because he's not. God is never tempting to do wrong. He's always tempting you to make the right decision. Temptation is not an evil word. What you're tempted to do is evil. God is never tempted to do wrong, and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. Underline this. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. God doesn't care about sin. Sin is the act. What he cares about is your heart posture. That's temptation. Can I show it to you? You ready? Temptation begins with desire. I want you to watch something. You ready for it? Here we go. Temptation is the root of all evil, not sin. Sin is the act of doing something. But I'm going to show you what temptation is. You ready? Okay. Sin starts in the dark. You can't see me because I'm in sin. Right? We're all born into, somebody say darkness. But this is how temptation works. You see something and you automatically have a thought. Man, it'd be cool. It'd be cool to do something that God doesn't want. And while you're thinking about it, the next point happens, which is, somebody say imagination. So now you've went from thinking about it to dreaming about it. It wasn't enough just to think about sleeping with the person. Now you are imagining it and you have a whole blockbuster film going on in your head. Okay, from somebody say thought, somebody say imagination. Now that you've imagined it and you've ran it through your head a million different times, you thought about the drink, now you've literally visualized the drink, you literally taste it on your lips, like, mm, cognac gonna be crazy. You go from imagining it, now you justify. I want the drink. It's going to taste good to my bones. I'll be, I'll, I'll be, God will save me. If I ask for forgiveness, it'll happen. So you went from thinking about it to seeing it in your head, 
to now trying to figure out how can I make this, this, this damage that's going to cause my body, how can I make it into a benefit? How, how can I justify what God said not to do? How do, I, how, do I make, how do I make what God told me, if a man so thinketh in his heart, it's okay to look. We haven't sinned yet. Look what your neighbor say, we haven't sinned yet. I'm just thinking about it. I'm married, but she's fine, bro. And she, bruh, look at your neighbor say, bruh, man. But now I wonder what she looks like when she gets home. Oh, man. Well, you know, God would understand. His grace is all sufficient. Pastor said that there's no Richter scale. He treats them all the same. So therefore, it's okay. And now you'll go from justification to desiring it. This is where the problem happens. Because here, you were just thinking it. May the mind of Christ be back in me. You can use your words here. Imagination. Man. Ooh. Ooh, I see it. You can use your words here. In order to justify, you have to use the word of God to make sense of how you're going to break it. Oh, my God. You can't break the word of God without knowing it. Well, God said, thou shalt not covet my neighbor's things, but I'm just going to buy the house and say that it's to make my family better, but I just want a bigger house than my brother. But then I'm going to say, God, it's a blessing. So now I have somebody scream, justify. I have justified my sin. But now what used to be because God blessed me, now I am desiring to be better than somebody else. Look at your neighbor and say, we haven't even sinned yet. We haven't, even, we haven't even sinned. You've thought about it. Is this helping somebody? You've thought about it. You have imagined it. You have justified it. And now we've desired it. Once you have justified it, now, next, you have to come up with your own benefit. I've thought about it. I've imagined it. I've justified it. I desired it. And now you have to lie to yourself. This is the will of God for my life. God doesn't want me to be saved from pornography. God doesn't want me to be saved from addiction. This pride, this pride demon, no. If God knew that he wanted me to get rid of it, he would have given me what I need. And now what you will do is you will look at all the resources that God gave you to escape as a wall, not an exit sign. And now once I have created the benefit, now I sin. God doesn't care about sin. Sin is the act. Look at your neighbor and say, sin is the act. This is where you drink. This is where you sleep with the person. This is where you lie, where you steal, where you cheat. But sin and lying doesn't start here. It lies when, it starts when you start thinking about it. Let so this mind in Christ also be in me. Sin doesn't start in the act. It starts with your temptation. God doesn't care about the drink. God really doesn't care about you sleeping with the person. That doesn't bother him because he died for this. But what he didn't die for was for you to create benefits for things that he didn't give you. And then to justify, I'm teaching, and for you to justify that the same God that saved that person, he understands my sin. He understands it. And because I justified it, because I justified it, what? It's, it's okay. I, I can, 
I can desire this thing. That's all right. And because I've desired it, now I think about it all the time. And for some of us, just imagining the thing is as good as doing it. And that, my friends, is when sin begins to live on the inside of you. But we're all living in this dark place. We're all living. Can you please bring me back my, my, my table? We're all living in this dark place. But somebody say, bring up the lights. Bring up the lights. Then you get freedom in Christ. And you're like, I don't know what to do. Yeah, it's because you were used to running through the circles. Sin doesn't start when you pick up the drink. It started three days ago when you were trying to figure out a reason to get the bottle. I have a me- it's Tuesday. I have a meeting on Thursday. I hate my boss. I'm going to use that as my reason to pick up the bottle. And we will begin to make dates with bondage. Okay, okay. We will begin to court sin. I know I can get right on Sunday, so let me just go over to old girl's house and <laughs> go home, take a shower, say a couple of Hail Marys, go to church. Yup, I'm good. Plays you, Jesus. I'm straight. So I can get right back into the same cycle on Monday. So the problem, sir, ma'am, the problem isn't the sin. The problem is that we have justified our, our, our temptation. Look at your neighbor and say, that's the problem. Thought about it. I imagined it. I justified it. And I desired it. Had a benefit to it. And now I sin. Write this down. If we stop the justification, we'll purge the desire. If we used our energy as much to make an excuse to go to church as we do to make an excuse to sin, our lives would be more free. Now, I know you're watching. It's like, church isn't the answer to everything. In my life, it was. So I'm just teaching from this thing called freedom. But if you've been in bondage for so long, free people can intimidate you. You mean you move how you want to move? You do what you want to do with your money? If I haven't been saving with my money, you're intimidating to me. But the kingdom is go forth into all nations and teach. The point of us living in the kingdom isn't to knock you over the head with the things that we've learned. It's to teach. The nation gets stronger when you actually submit to the process. Journey to partnership, a lot of you might think, well, I have to give in order to get. Every church should get freely. That is true. But if you want to touch what God calls holy here, you got to go through a process. You don't just get to start greeting. Think about it. People see you as a greeter in the parking lot before they hear me. And I practice what I do up here. Somebody rolls up on the parking lot and you're walking, you're working parking lot ministry, which is coming back. Somebody say amen. And you got a funky attitude. Do you think that they're going to walk through the doors and give the church a chance? based off of your attitude out there. How many of you have ever sat at a table where you were being served and the server had a little bit of a tube? That's why I hate going to Chick-fil-A. My pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure, my pleasure. It's not your pleasure. You didn't want to, I asked you to give me fries with no salt. That means that you had to make a brand new batch. That is not your pleasure. My pleasure. They'll run you down for that Chick-fil-A sauce. That Polynesian, sir, you forgot your Polynesian. They're so, they're so nice. But even them at Chick-fil-A can fake it in order to get people through the door. 
So maybe the church isn't not growing because we don't have lights. Maybe it's some people with some funky attitudes that people have seen out there and they never make it in here. I'm the impersonation of AWC before you walk in. But if you got a funky attitude, they'll never come to the place of grace. And then you'll justify it. Well, God knows who I am. No, you're, you're, you're rude. Look at your neighbor and say, you're rude. And say, your breath stinks. Point number five. We're almost out of here. We're almost out of here. We're almost out of here. We need to grow up and break the cycle. This is your life with the lights. You can use your words when you're thinking. You can use your words when it's imagination. You can use your words when it's justification. You can use your words when it's desire. You can use your words when it's benefit. But when you're in the act of sin, you ain't going to be praying while you're doing it. While you're taking off your clothes, God, if it be your will, provide a ram in the bush. (laughs) Wow. And then you just think you're going to open up the closet. Man. And even if it did, even if it did, would you really be like, no, you'd probably be like, that's probably her pet. I should probably. (laughs) That was funny. That was funny. You would find a way to justify that too. We're dirty people. That's who we are. But it's the grace of God that makes us better. We're not good people in this building because we're good people. It's this thing called grace that lives on the inside of me. It helps me make the decisions. Because this is the thing. You want to believe that as your pastor that I don't go through these. I think I'm a man of God. I'm not God-man. I'm a man first. Sometimes I'm a man of God. But I'm a man always. I think. I imagine. I justify. I desire. I make my own benefits. But I have the right in my head, and I got people in my community that help me before I actually act. Hey, bro, what are you thinking? I'm thinking this, that, and the other. Okay, have you started imagining it? Well, yeah, kind of like started like texting and doing all that. Okay, so have you started justifying it? Well, you know, like God will understand. No, he won't, bro. We've been here before. Because sometimes you're only as good as the people that are around you. I bet you a lot of the things that you wouldn't do, you, a lot of things that you would do, there are certain people in your life you don't do it with. Why? And you'll lie. I don't want to corrupt them. No, you know that their spirit is going to be on your head. My cousin's at Thanksgiving, like, hey, we're going to go for a walk. I'm like, oh, I want to go for a walk. A different walk. My lips itch. Smoke. Oh, no, 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 Josh, you can't go. I want to go on a walk. (laughs) Then they come back hungry as heck. And I'm like, oh, that was a good workout. No, it was that they couldn't do it around me because maybe what's around me changes. That's why some of the stuff doesn't touch you that you got saved from. You're different. Your DNA changed when you gave your heart to Christ. That's why your friends don't invite you out no more because you're a killjoy. Hey, Josh, we cool. We don't want to roll with you. Bro, we used to hang all the time. No, I can't get lit like I used to with you around, bro. So like, you can stay at the crib. We're going to go to Sonic afterwards if you want to meet up there. <laughs> you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and at the table of demons too. This is the word. Okay? As we come from, it's worried. Worried. What? Do we dare to rouse the Lord's jealousy? Do you think... We are stronger 
than he is. If Jesus had to use the word of God to fight temptation, us trying to do it by ourselves is impossible. I'm I'm going to go there in a second. You know what? No, I'm just going to go there now. I'm going to go there now. Oh, verse 23. You say, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is good for you. You say, underline this, I am allowed to do anything, but not everything is beneficial. What if the threshold of how we lived our lives was this question? Is it going to benefit my life? And if the answer is no, go ahead and do what you want to do. But just remember, you paid the cost. You paid the cost. When you lie, it keeps you from, you get the benefit of not telling the truth. But now nobody trusts you. You paid the cost. You got what you wanted, but you paid the cost. So let's, let's, let's not get caught off guard. When we look at the word of God, there's only three ways that the enemy can tempt you. There's only three. When we go to Matthew 4 and 3, remember when Jesus goes to the wilderness? The word of God says that the spirit actually led him to the wilderness to be tempted. Meaning that the spirit knew the level and the measure that he was going to walk in. And he said, if I'm leading you into temptation, I've already given you what you need to get out of it. The thing that the world wants to lie to you about is that once you see temptation, that you have nothing to fight it, you should just give in. But if you've given your heart to this thing called the Holy Spirit, he's with you everywhere. Meaning that while you're committing the sin and the act, guess what? He doesn't like leave your body and say, all right, dog, I'm out. Do what you got to do. I'll be back. No, he's right there watching. And he's not condemning you. In some cases, he's hovering over you. Making sure that this drink isn't the one that takes you out, okay? Making sure that this one isn't laced with some stuff that'll kill you. Making sure that this relationship doesn't mess you up. Making sure that this guy doesn't beat you up. Like, so he doesn't condemn you in the sin, but it literally says this, that while we commit in the act of temptation and sin, God's heart breaks. He's not upset with you. He's not frustrated. He's not trying to kill you. He's weeping. Like, I gave you freedom. Why do you keep choosing this mess? So Jesus is led to the wilderness. And the enemy, Satan, because Satan doesn't have that much power. He can't be everywhere. That's why he tempts you. He just puts something in front of you. Once he gets you locked in, he leaves. The devil didn't make you do it. He just suggested an option that you took. Okay. There's the lust of the flesh. There's the lust of your eyes. And then there's the pride of life. Pride is the worst of all of the seven deadly sins. Because it makes you think that you can do it by yourself. And the point of being in Christianity in life and in this thing called this faith walk in the kingdom is that my life is not my own. I'm not good enough to lead my life. Matthew 4 and 3, Satan says to Jesus, what? Turn these rocks into bread if you're the son of God. He uses Jesus' desire because before he's led into the wilderness, remember, he's been fasting for 40 days. So Jesus is hungry. He's thought about bread. He's imagined, man, it'd be nice to have a rye sandwich. He's justified probably because remember, Jesus was all man, all God. He was both. But Jesus knew sin as a doctor knows cancer, not as a patient does. Jesus knows about sickness, but he never, he never experienced it. So he's hungry and he says, turn these rocks into bread. The lust of your flesh is what you could do. We're all given options to step out of our faith, to step out of being virtuous, step out of being nice, step out of being kind. 
But you have to make a decision. Somebody say make a decision. Matthew 4 and 5, that doesn't work because Jesus uses the word of God to talk to him. We got to stop talking to the enemy in our own voice and use the word. Well, it's written in the word of God that I'm supposed to crush your head. So get away from me. Because when you start to talk to the serpent, Eve, you'll start having conversation rather than telling him what he needs to do. There's some stuff in your life you need to tell it what to do and not have like back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And write this down. No is a complete sentence. Hey, girl, I've been watching you for a minute. You want to go on a date? No. Man, give me a try. No. no. God told me that my husband was going to have these six things. You ain't got them, so you're not him. Not saying that you can't have them, but get to work. Somebody say, get to work. In the world, I ain't got a car yet, but we can take a bicycle. Man. Okay. This lust of the eyes, Matthew 4 and 5. He asks Jesus, hey, jump off this cliff. If you jump off this cliff, what will happen? The angel's going to catch you, dog. Like, you're the son of man, like son of God. Like, you're going to be all right. What does Jesus say to him? He says, you're not going to tempt me by what I see. You're tempted by what you feel, lust of the flesh. You're also tempted by what you can sense. That's why we can't listen to everything. That's why we can't watch everything. That's why we can't consume everything. It's not to say that what we consume, what we hear, and what we see isn't good. It's just that I know when something's too much for me and I need to leave. I don't watch movies where spirits are in the, in the movie because that stuff is real. Man, man, you don't want to watch The Ring? No. I love those movies. I desire that. I love those movies. I love it when the chain, ging, 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 ging. But what type of sermon would I give you if I watched that last night? I might teach at the same caliber, but my spirit might be off. Somebody say, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes. And then there's the pride of life. Matthew 4 and 9, he says, if you bow down to me, all of this. Because Adam messed up and he gave it to me. So it's mine. If you want this, all you got to do is bow. Pride is our inability to bow down to God. It's when we stand straight up. I got this. I was playing piano and I was learning how to play and I got prideful. Um, a, a guy, I won't tell you who it is, you might know who it is. He was teaching me how to play. And uh, do you guys know that song? Nobody greater. Any musicians in the room? There's a part in that song that like, when I tell you it is tough, every piano player, when this part comes, nobody can heal me like you can. There's some chords in there that you like, you don't know what to do. And uh, Ron, oh, I just gave him, gave him his name. Ron said, we're going to rehearse this song and you're going to play it on Sunday. I'm not going to help you. I didn't, I didn't practice. I didn't rehearse. And I was like, oh, he ain't going to, he ain't going to, he's going to, if it, he's not going to, surely he won't let the spirit fall because of me. He's the lead. I'm just the second. Sunday came. Now y'all know Minister Crawford today. I'm not even looking over there. I feel heat. <laughs> Tina's nice. Minister Crawford, in order to do this thing for 25 years, you got to be particular. You, you got you to keep that thing and you got to keep that thing. You got to keep it right. She was standing here and she was leading. That part came up in the song. Ron, our keys were over here. Ron sat back, turned his keyboard down, folded his arms. I prideful. I'm trying to help you. 
prideful. I know what I'm doing. In rehearsals, I was trying to tell him, well, yeah, you could put this chord here. He's like, that's not what I'm teaching you. I'm the master. You're the student. Stay in your lane. I didn't understand. I'm like, bro, my daddy pastors this church. What do you mean? I can play the piano however I want. Pride. Justified. I am the firstborn, but you play better piano than I do. There's a reason why Draymond Green doesn't shoot. If Steph is open this much, give that man the ball. Like, just give him the ball. But we'll lose the game because we have pride because we want to be on a poster. I want to be on CNN. So I'm sitting there. Nobody can hear me like you can. Oh, you are the great I am. Awesome and all. Ooh. You ain't mighty as your hand. And he sits there at the keyboard and looks at me. And he let me fall because of my pride. Now, I had a choice. Do I go to Ron and say, how did you let me fall? Or do I not give up on the benefit and self-reflect? Joshua, you're prideful. You will only be as good as you allow people to teach you. You'll only be as good as you allow people to teach you. You are embarrassed in front of people, but you also embarrassed your leader. Because she was up here singing. And people are never going to look at the piano player. They're going to look at the lead. So my pride can cause not just me to fall, but for everything to fall. Because I thought I could play. If they wanted me to be the main keyboardist, I would be. If pastors thought that I was ready to be the lead pastor, I would be. But they always provide you a way of escape. And sometimes the way of escape is a back seat. But if you don't see a back seat as safety, that'll teach. I'm putting you in this back seat because you don't know where we're going. I'm covering you. Man, they got me in the back seat. Don't you know I'm supposed to be up front? Go ahead and drive. I'm going to get off this bus and let you kill yourself. Oh, so now you don't trust me? It's not that I didn't trust you. It's just that I know what I'm doing. When God says, I'll give you a way of escape, he wasn't saying that you were weak. This is freeing somebody right now. He's not saying that you're weak and like you can't put the bottle down. He's not saying that. But he says, if you have the opportunity to do it in your own strength and to do it in the one that created the breath that you're breathing, why would you bet on you? I'm strong enough. I'll quit when I want to. No, you won't. No, you won't. Joshua, no, I, I didn't. I didn't. And I know this word, which means that I was able to manipulate it to get my desire. But I was in bondage. Because what I justified to get had me. And there's a spirit in the room right now where some of you, that, that spirit of pride, it's the reason why you are where you are. It's the reason why you're not leveling up glory to glory. The funniest thing about Jesus is this, and I got to teach a whole sermon series on this. I can't wait. When Jesus was in the temple, remember his mom comes and what she do? Boy, what are you doing? And he says, about my father's business, like, that's the only reason why I'm here. But what does he say? She says, come home. And what does Jesus do? He goes home. And we don't hear from Jesus for another 18 years. Meaning, yes, you're powerful. But sometimes there's some stuff that God doesn't want you to even experience. Why should I save you from alcohol when I don't even want you to taste it? Like, I don't even want you to taste it. Like, I don't want you... 
Like, I don't want you to have to deal with a broken heart. So like, don't even say yes to dinner. But he got money, but he's broken. His bank account is the best thing about him, sis. He doesn't know how to love you. So Jesus gives us three different things. Why run from what you can resist? Why resist what, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Why run from what you can resist? Why resist what you can kill? The word of God says in 1 Timothy 6 and 11, but you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these things. You can run from it. You can flee. I don't know about you. Been at the gym, and she walked in. All my brothers that are married that know what I'm talking about, she walks in. It's 530 every day. Okay, y'all going to leave me out here hanging? Cool, no worries. And I know she walks in at 530, so I probably need to be at the gym at 3 o'clock in the morning. I'm not even going to, like, put myself, okay, can I, can I help you? I know she's walking in. I'm not even going to put myself in a place to tell the person that for richer or poorer in sickness and health just so that I can peek over while I'm on the Stairmaster because that's sin, just as murder is. So I'm going to run. Look at your neighbor and say, it's okay to run? Okay. Number two, resist. Glory to God. James 4 and 7, it says, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil and the will, and he will flee from you. Flee means to run from it. Resist means to struggle to fight it. This is what I'm saying. The act of sin isn't the problem. When you fall, when you, when you watch, when you do it, whatever, like that, that's not the sin. The question is, do you feel shame? Because shame only comes from the enemy. I want, I want you to understand. God does not condemn. God does not bring shame. But he does bring conviction. You can run from it. You can fight it and resist it. But I like being done with stuff. Like, I don't want to procreate with my beautiful wife and have babies, and I'm still working on stuff. I don't, I don't want my son. I don't want my son dealing with stuff that my granddaddy dealt with and my dad dealt with and I'm dealing with. Like, let's not, even if we're 40, even if we're 40 and have kids, I just love him enough that I don't want him to have to run away from it. I don't want him to have to resist it. Somebody scream and say, I want to kill it. I want to, I want to strangle it and watch the life leave its eyes. There's some stuff that I didn't have to even look because my father killed it. It's just my turn now and I have to make a decision. Am I going to run with the benefit of sin or am I going to do what God has called me to do? Ephesians 6 and 11, glory to God. Somebody's going to get free this morning. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Every single one of us, you got a monster on your path and you try to run from it and it's on the other path. You try to run from it, it's on the other path. This is Pastor Martin's analogy. And you're trying to figure out why is this thing following me everywhere I'm going? Because you keep running from it. You keep trying to resist it, but you haven't tried this third option of killing it. benefit of sin is that it shows you in your, where in your life you need to be saved. If you're addicted, it's not about being an addict. It's about you don't understand self-control. That's the sin. If you're a liar, it's not that you lie. It's that you don't want to tell yourself the truth. That's the sin. That's the sin. But the world wants you to chase, oh, I drank again. Oh, I slept with this person again. 
You're not bad. You're not a terrible person. We're all terrible. The question is, what are you thinking about? How are you imagining? This is how we close out the sermon series. We the nation is great, but we're a nation of free people. And our, um, our biggest desire isn't for you just to come to a service and hear somebody speak, but it's for you to be free. Like, there aren't many organizations that are promoting freedom anymore. Like, it's come hear a sermon, and by the sixth part in the sermon series, you'll get what you need. But, like, the reason why our pastors have constructed this organization the way that it is is because we, the nation, we need you to be free. We don't need you to serve. We want you to serve. We want you to be a partner. But what we need from you, somebody say what we need from you, is we need for you to be free. Because if you're free in your life, you'll make better decisions. Think about how much more happy your family would be if you were free. Think about the rest, the peace and the sleep at night you would get if you were free. Think about your marriage. How much better would your marriage be if you were free? How much, how much more would your children love you if when they looked at you, daddy wasn't so worried about getting money, but he was worried about getting on his hands and knees and playing Legos with them. Freedom shouldn't scare you. And if it does, we're going to take care of that right now. I want you to be a part of the nation. It's not just about coming to AWC, but we want you to be somebody say free. But we can't save you if you don't want to help yourself. We have small groups for a reason. It helps you. You're not going to get personal time with myself or pastors all the time. There are people in this room. How many of you in this room have been freed from something that you used to be a slave to? Come on. You can sell them a t-shirt. You can write a book. I can give you 10-point notes. How many of you, it's finances? Like, I used to be broke, but I know how to get you to $10,000 or more of your, in your income. How many of your marriage used to be broken, but like, yeah, if you spend three weeks with us, we'll get you right. How many of you, it's fitness? How many of you, it's, like, it's whatever it is. Like, I've been through it. And I don't want you to fall. Why choose the life that you're living on purpose when there's an escape? Look at your neighbor and say, I want peace now. Not over in glory, not over yonder when I get to heaven. Because all you're going to do when you get to heaven is sing holy, holy, holy. So I'd like to have peace with my legs crossed, 85 degree weather, with a pina colada, no alcohol with my wife. I want to do that now and not worry about what's happening at home and not worry how we're going to pay for this trip. People will lie to you and say that it is a prosperity message. And I want to tell you today, it is. Why would God have children that he doesn't want to prosper? What's the point of living for a God that doesn't want you to enjoy life at the fullest? What's the point? If that's what this turns into, I'm gone. Phew. There's some people in the room. You're looking for the benefit of life and not the benefit of sin.